There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When I wake up each morning, I die a little bit. No matter how hard I try not to, I always think about before when I was me. I am not the woman I was. I am not the woman I wanted to be. I am so much more than that. What matters most? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Sam Bloom was on a holiday in Thailand when a balcony collapsed under her, leaving her paralysed from the chest down. She defied the odds to become a champion parasurfer, telling the world to never, ever give up. Well, Sam Bloom, I don't think anyone has ever captured the essence of what it is to suffer a spinal cord injury better than you just put it. When I wake up every morning, I die just a little bit. Yes, it's still the case. Still. Yes, every morning I wake up and I look out the window and I always just think, oh, I always think what I would have been doing, which isn't great. It's not a smart thing to do, but I can't help myself. I would always be like, you know, it's a beautiful day. I know I would have been surfing or I would have gone like mountain biking up in the national park. So, yeah, it's not a great way to wake up. I don't think anyone truly understands what it's like unless they've suffered spinal cord injury. And as I said, no one has better described it for me than you have just done. But with your two books and the movie coming out, I've known you for a couple of years now, and I have to say I can hear a lightness in your voice. You seem to be in a much better place than you've been for a very long time. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Probably the first time I met you, you that was, yeah, like you said, a couple of years ago. And I'll it wasn't great. When I first got out of rehab and started kayaking, you know, that kind of gave me a little bit more confidence. And then when I got on the Australian team for um, paracanoeing, I felt great. And then um, when I didn't get back on the team, I think I sort of dived down back into that really dark, horrible place where you think, well, I have no goals and sort of, you know, what's the point of getting up out of bed? But it's changed now. I, I have another purpose, which is good, which is the surfing. What has really struck me is the courage it must take to get on a board when you've got no use of your legs. How much strength do you have in your arms? Yeah, I'm pretty strong in my arms, which is so good. I mean, I go to the gym like six times a week, so they're pretty strong. But, yeah, it it does take a little bit of courage, and sometimes I do get a little bit um, scared out there because when I fall off and, you know, if it's quite a um, decent-sized wave, I don't have much control. You know, my legs are just like flinging around everywhere. And yeah, I I have not panicked as such, but almost a few times when I've been wiped out. Walk me through the process when you go surfing. You have to have a companion at all times? Yes. Yeah. So um, due to Cameron, my husband, so he'll take me out the back and then he pushes me onto the waves. And if it's just small surf, then it's just the two of us, that's fine. I can usually sort of either paddle out, paddle back out if, if there are no waves, or the cam will um, just come in and get me and take me back out. 
but I never, I would never have the courage to go out there on my own. Look, the journey has been extraordinary and we know spinal cord injury can strike at any time and often the most incidental moment. For you, it was leaning back on a balcony in Thailand in 2014 and your life changed in an instant. That story, difficult enough, and being a nurse as you were, you would have known the road ahead was going to be so, so difficult. For those that don't know, you and your husband captured the remarkable story of your rehab through the friendship and companionship that you had with the beautiful Penguin. Tell me a little bit about the story of Penguin and how that all happened. My middle son, Noah, found Penguin. It was about three months after I'd got home from hospital and we're at my mum's house just having lunch and it was quite a windy day and um, Noah found her just in the grass and she'd been blown out of her nest. So we thought if we left her there, she'd die. So we picked her up, took her home and, yeah, she stayed with us for two years and she just brought happiness into our house which was so lacking I think I when I came home from hospital it was like I just had a dark cloud over me and I just ended up I don't know just making everybody feel sad and you'd have to say you were depressed yes I I hate that word you know it's funny but yes I, I was I was definitely depressed why do you hate the word I don't know is it the label yeah maybe and I think before the accident I was always happy, you know. I, I mean, you know, sure, you get a bit stressed out about a few things and whatnot, but I, I, was, I was always happy and I love life. And, yeah, and it's just weird to say, yes, I was depressed. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is the label. But, yeah, I was. I definitely was. I guess being forced, I mean, I've just got a COVID puppy and um, I think it's really added this other dimension to our family. And, of course, it's nothing like your circumstances. But the joy of animals is that they force you to take care of someone else other than yourself. They give you some sort of perspective. Is that what you found with Penguin? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so when, when we came home um, and Noah found Penguin, she did, she did. She just brought happiness into our house. And, and, like, and for me, she was an amazing companion. I would talk to her all the time, tell her what was going on in my head because I didn't want to bombard Cam with, like, this constant negativity because I thought he'd, have, he'd had enough to deal with. So, yeah, so Penguin was my little sounding board. And like you said, animals are incredibly healing. I think most Australians are still gobsmacked that you could actually domesticate a magpie. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I, I mean, well, she, in a way, I guess she was domesticated, but she wasn't toilet trained, that's for sure. <laughs> Our house was a little bit of a disaster, but, you know, it was worth it. She was gorgeous. I know Cam's a, an acclaimed photographer, but at what point did he decide that he wanted to document your relationship with Penguin? Did it just happen organically? Yeah, it was very organic. Cam can't help himself but have a camera around. There's always a camera on, you know, on the kitchen bench or in the lounge room. And so, he, yeah, from the moment um, we brought her home, he just started shooting her, taking photos of her, mostly with the kids at first because um, I didn't want Cam to take my photo because this will sound quite strange, but I didn't want him to take a photo of me in the wheelchair. So I'd always, I'd always be like, no, don't don't shoot me, like, you know, take photos of the kids and Penguin. It's interesting, isn't it? It's about that journey of acceptance. Yes. About accepting what really happened to you. When do you think that happened for you? Well, to be honest, I don't think I'll ever fully accept it. I mean, obviously I can't change it, but I don't think I'll ever be at peace with being in a wheelchair. I think I'll always struggle. I think people always have empathy for those in the wheelchair, but it's actually the effect on the entire family 
and everyone that loves them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, no, it wasn't just me who was affected. Yeah, it was like my whole family and my friends because I did push them away, which I now feel terrible about doing, but I couldn't help it. It was almost like I was trying to protect myself, keep myself in my bubble. And I didn't like, so I didn't have to see, I guess, a reflection of my old life. So, Sam, an enormous life lesson for your three young sons. How do you think it's affected them now with the benefit of a couple of years down the track? Um, I think they've become more compassionate. Like, not that they weren't compassionate before, but they've seen so much more now. You know, they've met other people in wheelchairs. I think, well, they've definitely matured, that's for sure, since the accident. Yeah, I think they'll grow up to be, yeah, just lovely young guys who just see people as people. Like, they don't look at someone and think, oh, you know, oh, the poor person, they're in a wheelchair, I won't go up and talk to them or whatever. They just see them as a normal person. It's fair to say an accident like yours also severely tests a marriage. Definitely, yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, Cam's been amazing from the day it happened. Like, yeah, I, I personally I don't know how he's put up with me, especially the first few years, but, no, he's been incredible, so I'm so grateful. Let's look at that first book, Penguin Bloom, which really set you out on the international stage. Cam had captured all the moments beautifully. Um, seeing Penguin with a little twig, you know, doing his rehab with you alongside. I love the shot of Penguin uh, while Noah's brushing his teeth. He's he's almost, you know, so many magical moments. But turning that imagery into a story required the likes of Bradley. And how did you find him and pitch the whole concept to get that book out there? Well, when we were approached um, by a publisher who wanted to, um, like, you know, make a book, Cam reached out to Bradley via Facebook, which is quite strange because Cam hadn't seen Bradley for about 20 years. And then he, so he sent Bradley a message just saying, you know, they want to do a story on us. Would you like to write it? And then Bradley got back the next day and said he'd love to. So it was fantastic. But, I mean, I'd, I'd never met Bradley before he started to write our book, and we spent countless hours just talking over Skype and, yeah, getting to know each other. So Cam and I now consider him like part of our family. He's just incredible. What was the timeline like then in terms of that first chat on Skype and when the book was actually published? What's it like? What's that process? I mean, I think Bradley and I spent the first year talking, like almost every day. It was like just hours and hours. But at first I was quite reserved. You know, I didn't know this guy and I wasn't going to tell him everything. But as time went on, yeah, I, I'll probably tell Bradley more about what was going on in my head than Cam. And I'd also written um, quite a lot down in my, on my, just on my phone, you know, in notes, and I hadn't shown anyone. And I told Bradley, I said, look, I've written a few bits and pieces down. He's like, send it to me. And so I did. And I said, look, you're going to think I'm absolutely crazy. And so I emailed it to him and he wrote back saying, oh, my God, you, like, you seriously are quite crazy. And I said, I told you so. It was very negative. It was full of like, you know, I hate this, I hate that. Very, very dark. So when the book's first published and you get that reaction, which, you know, was extraordinary, were you and Cam pinching yourselves, you know, realising that the story had meaning and had real cut through to so many people around the world? Yeah. I mean, that, that's been the best thing about the book. Like we used to receive messages from people like all around Australia and from all over the world just saying, they'd write and just say thank you, they don't feel so alone. And, and I think they love the honesty and the rawness of the book and we just said it how it was. 
and yeah, I think people really appreciated that. I remember I got a letter from mum. It was on Instagram, and um, and the mum, um, her daughter was sixteen years old, and she sustained a spinal cord injury, and it was the saddest letter I have ever read. She she said something like, you know, all I want is my daughter to find happiness in her heart again. And I remember thinking, what on earth am I going to write back to this mum? I don't know. It was, it was so sad. And then I did write back and we've stayed in contact. And it's just lovely. It's like a little community all around the world. Just people who have, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a spinal cord injury. It could be they've had a stroke or they have chronic fatigue syndrome. But we all, even... Even though maybe we're different, it's like, you know, same, same, but different. We all sort of get it. What do you think the injury and the ordeal of the last however many years has taught you about yourself? Um, I think, I guess I think I'm a little bit braver and more capable than I thought I was. Yeah, and quite stoic. I think I'm a little bit like my dad. He was very stoic. And I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm a little bit like dad. What a lot of people don't realise with spinal cord injury is the costs involved of everyday life. It's not easy trying to get to rehab and go through everything you need to go through. Has that been helpful in that sense? Yeah, of course. I mean, it is expensive. Anything to do with disability is so expensive, it's crazy. But, I mean, I must say, like, since the NDIS has come in, like, that has been an absolute lifesaver. What's it done for you? Oh, so much. Like, it enabled me to get a new wheelchair. Like, you know, all the medications, like, you know, like quite a few medications for the pain, pays for that. And and just like, sounds strange, but like simple things like toilet, not toiletries as such, but like catheters and just bits and pieces that you need like every day. So, yeah, NDIS has been amazing. I always say, like, I think like living in Australia, we are so lucky. We just have so much support. Like, I think the government's amazing. Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, just this month, the movie comes out and the acclaimed actress and Australian, Naomi Watts, plays you. Walk us back through when you first got approached from Naomi and her team. How did that happen and what was it like for you? Um, well, one of the producers saw our book, Penguin Bloom, and loved it. She, she was a mum and she's very good friends with Naomi and she sent the book to Naomi and, and that's when they optioned the book. So they, they bought the rights to um, make the film and, yeah, it's been a crazy journey but it's been amazing. And you were here and you were involved with the filming when it happened? Yeah, it's been amazing. Like the whole cast and crew were just so lovely and, yeah, and they, they welcomed Cam and I like on set a lot and they just wanted our – I think they just wanted our feedback because I remember saying to them the only thing I really want is the film to be raw and honest and they've stuck to that which is amazing. 
And they were the only conditions you put on it? You didn't have any other requests about dialogue or conversations? No, not so much. I, I remember saying I don't want it Hollywoody. Like I don't want the ending to be, you know, everything's amazing and, you know, and she's all happy and life's great. So they, they, they have, they've, they've kept it to the story, like to our story, which, yeah. So do you remember the moment when you and Cam sat there and watched the film for the first time together? Did you have the boys with you? No, we didn't. No, we didn't have the boys with us because we were in LA and we saw it. We just had a little screening. But, yeah, it was amazing. But um, when we first saw it, we all had to give feedback, you know, and like you said, maybe change a bit of the dialogue or whatever. And so we've seen it about four times and every time they're like, well, just give us some feedback and, yeah, it's been great. So they've taken our feedback on board and they have changed it a little bit. So it just got better and better. And what were your boys like? What was their reaction when they saw it? And who plays them? Oh, well, they're Aussie kids. Who plays them? A couple are from Melbourne and one's from Sydney. Were the boys thrilled at how they were portrayed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were. They were really excited. And I think they can't wait to watch it on screen. Do you think Naomi's captured you? Was there a moment in the film when you said, wow, that's, that's my story and that really is me? Yeah, I think she's captured me because she looks very sad and and angry. <laughs> yeah, no, I think she did an incredible job. Getting into your head, did that just come about through the scripting or was it the time you spent with her when they were filming? Both. And I actually sent the director my diary, like all the things I'd written. Then they got into my head that way so they knew how I was feeling and, yeah. It's a real... Trust, isn't it, that you give them, you know, your innermost fears, thoughts, frustrations. Were you scared? No, 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 not at all. No, as long as they made it real. That's all I wanted. I don't know, it's just good. It's just good to get, like, it will make people more aware, I think, of what it is actually like to live with a spinal cord injury. You know, it's not like, yeah, the accident happens and then life just, you know, goes on like normal. It's a struggle. Like every day is a struggle and I think they portrayed that. What would you like people to learn from watching the movie? What's one of the biggest misconceptions about spinal cord injury and an ongoing frustration for you when people see you? What, what's the best way to approach someone with a spinal cord injury, do you think? Well, I think the best way to approach someone is just treat them normally. Don't pity them. Just treat them like you would treat a normal person. That's the one thing I have... Um, this will sound quite strange, but it's cool when people like bag you out, you know, because you feel normal. If you know what I mean, like they don't kind of pussyfoot around you thinking, oh, I shouldn't say that. But if they just, you know, treat you like normal, um, yeah. Where are the no-go zones? Mm, it's different for everybody. I don't know, probably for me, like the whole bathroom thing. Yeah, people don't need to know. Yeah, anything else, I don't care. But, yeah, so, yeah, don't need to talk about that. Well, Sam, as you know, I've worked with spinal cord injury for 20-plus years and we were thrilled to announce last year the New South Wales government invested $15 million into finding a cure for spinal cord injury. There are a couple of really exciting programs underway right now. One of them is Neuro, Neuroscience Research Australia, and they focus on the neurostimulation of the spinal cord. So, Sam, tell us what you've been doing with them. So what they did, they put like... They just pretty much used me, well, to see if what they're planning to do for the trial worked and just to see that there was no adverse um, effects. So what they did is they um, put the stimulation, well, they put one pad over like 
my spine, my spinal cord, like my lower back, and then two on my tummy. And then they um, turned the, turn the um, simulator on and, and it worked. So what they did is they sent the current through my spinal cord to my legs and my muscles contracted. So they were, they were ecstatic. So you were strung up in a harness and you had these external electro probes attached to your spine and, as you say, your stomach. Yes. Then they flicked the switch. <laughs> OMG. What did you feel? Could you feel anything or were you just watching your legs move? I couldn't feel my legs as such, but I could feel, I could definitely feel my tummy switching on, which was so unreal because I have no stomach muscles and I could just feel them all tightening up. So that was, that was brilliant. It was really exciting, but it's going to be so hard. Like the physios were moving my legs. I was on the treadmill and then they'd be going, okay, left leg, right leg. And I was just concentrating, like, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, come on, like, just just lift your left leg up, lift your right leg up. So it was great. And they, they were so excited that everything went well. So, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be very exciting. I think it will take a while, but like you said, they'll definitely find a cure. In your lifetime, that's the plan. That's the hope. That is the hope, absolutely. Yeah, but can you imagine, like, when they do, like, like how life-changing that's going to be for, like, millions of people around the world? Millions of people. And it's not just, you know, a lot of people – think about spinal cord injury and think it happens on a sporting field or it's actually car accidents, it's incidental injuries like yours or Kerri-Ann Kennelly's husband, you know, just tripped over a low-lying hedge and bang, you know, life is in you, it was over. Yeah, totally. It can happen to anyone. And like you said, it can just be something so small. So now we've come out to the second book, which has just been launched. What's the point of difference with the second book? Well, this was my perspective. So it covers like my life as a little kid and then goes through, you know, becoming a nurse, uh, traveling, meeting Cam, having the kids and, yeah, and then the accident. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I was inspired to write this book just in the hope that it might help others find strength and courage in their own dark and challenging times. But it was because of the um, response we got from Penguin in the first book. What's the response been like so far? Pretty exciting. Yeah, gosh, I hope people will love it. And I hope, I hope it'll help people. I'm sure it will. You've agreed to donate a percentage of all the book sales to spinal cord injury research. Yeah, no, definitely 10% of both books, the royalties go to spinal cord. But your timing couldn't be better with the movie coming out this year. When does the movie come out in Australia? Uh, 1st of January. Will there be, you know, the premiere? Well, we hope so. I mean, geez, when, hopefully COVID will, you know, <laughs> hopefully life will be back to normal by then and then they will have a premiere. But, yeah, it's going to be in Sydney. What I've loved seeing about you, Sam, in the last couple of years is how you found your confidence and um, other ways to look at life and stay really positive. And one of those things is actually getting on the speaker's circuit and sharing your story. You've really grown in confidence in that space, haven't you? Oh, yes and no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the first one I ever did, oh, my God, I thought I was going to vomit beforehand. Yeah, I'm a little bit confident, but it still terrifies me. It's funny because in the book, and it's true, my greatest fear is public speaking. It is amazing what you can, like, what you can overcome when you have to. <laughs> I don't know. You're stronger than you think you are, I think. So what's a typical day in the life of Sam Bloom? Well, Cam usually just helps me get out of bed and then I have a shower and stuff. But usually my typical day will just involve going to the gym. So I train six times a week because I love it and it's good for my body and it's good for my head. 
And so if, if it's a nice day and the surf's good, Cam and I will go for a surf. Yeah, I don't know. Mostly, I mean, mostly my day involves just going to the gym mm-hmm. and just hanging out. I've got a really good friend who's my personal trainer, so I love hanging out with her and, yeah, she's great. So in terms of the load with the boys, I guess in any marriage it waxes and wanes as to who picks up that load. It's unquestionably been life-changing for Cam too, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I first came from home, Cam was like, he was like my nurse. He was like a single parent. He was working. He was trying to run the household. Yeah, it was huge. Cam still, I mean, he has stepped up big time. He still, you know, does everything for the boys. I mean, I do as much as I can, but I can't just race around with them. So, no, he's been, he's been amazing. In what ways have the boys adjusted to the new life? Have they demonstrated, as you said, a maturity, but also an independence and a resilience in the way they go about things? Yeah, no, definitely. They're definitely a lot more independent now. I think they struggled the first couple of years. I think definitely Noah did. Like our middle son, he was very angry. And I think he felt guilty, which made me feel even worse because he loves surfing. And then um, I remember the first summer, he'd have his board under his arm and he'd go, oh, I'm just going for a surf. And then he'd look at me and go, oh, I'm so sorry, mum. And I, oh, it'd make me feel terrible. So I used to say, all you have to do is get down to the beach, catch an awesome wave, and that will make me happy. So, yeah, that, that was quite tricky with Noah. But, no, I think the boys have accepted it and this is just our life and they just carry on. One thing with Penguin is people just assume Penguin is with you for good. She actually flew the coop, didn't she? She did. Yes, yeah, so we had her for two years and we didn't have her, but she stayed with us for two years. And um, when I was over in Italy, I went over for the kayaking for the World Championships and Cam and the boys came over, but they left three weeks after me and Penguin left the night before they flew to Italy, which is so bizarre. It's like she came at the perfect time and left at the perfect time. Wow. One of the more magical moments with Penguin was seeing, I don't know, five or six months ago, whenever it was, Penguin actually came home for one of his son's birthdays. It was like she knew. <laughs> yeah, that, that was for Ruben's, actually. That was Ruben's 13th birthday. So she'd been gone for about six weeks and, you know, we thought, oh, at first we thought, oh, no, maybe something's happened to her. And then we were thinking maybe she's found a boyfriend. And um, I remember on his birthday I said, oh, imagine if Penguin came back today and we were like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. And we're at my mum's celebrating his birthday and Cam got a phone call off a lady and she said, I think Penguin's inside my house. So Cam raced back and it was her. So he brought Penguin home, set up his camera, and then I arrived home with the boys and that's when he recorded Ruben's reaction. It was so funny. It was unbelievable that she came home on his birthday. Yeah, I think that is my favourite memory of Penguin. So does she visit, you know, sporadically? When was the last time you saw her? No, we haven't seen her for ages now. I don't even think I would recognise her. She'd have to make one of her calls. Then I would know it would be her. Really? You can distinguish her call from others? Yes. She had a really unique call. So that's what I'd be able able to pick her by that. But no, but we have another bird now. We have a currawong, Frankie. And it was so funny, um, for the, when they were filming, they needed a baby magpie. And we were thinking, no, you guys have left it too late. You know, all the babies would have grown up. And then um, someone found a baby magpie up at Palm Beach 
and he dropped her off here. And so we named her Hollywood because she was in the film. (laughs) (laughs) She left about a month ago. I have to say birds are so beautiful and unique, but they scare me a little bit. What is it about birds and your family? Did you have an affinity with them beforehand? Not really. I mean, I've always loved birds, but I've never, you know, I haven't had a pet bird since we were little kids. Yeah, there's just something about them. But I do get why people are scared of birds. I was at mum's the other day and it's the same nest as where um, Penguin fell out of and um, this magpie just kept swooping me and it is terrifying. I'd never been swooped before and you don't hear them. They just come flying down at you. So I do. I get why people are scared of them. So how did you stop Penguin from poking you in the eye and, you know, all those wonderful images that Cam's captured with the boys while they're brushing their teeth and in the kitchen and sitting on your head while you're preparing dinner. Is that a training process? No, no. She wasn't too aggressive. Or actually, no, that's, that's not true. She could be quite aggressive with other people who came into our house. Never kids. It was always adults. But we could tell um, if she was, like, angry at something, you could just tell because she'd make this like this specific noise, you know, and we'd be like, oh, I'd just leave her alone. Like, you know, she doesn't like that. It is does sound quite strange, but you can just you can just tell. It's like they're talking to you and you know what they mean. It's the same as Frankie. She like because she's quite naughty and you know, you get her and you go to take her outside and she does it. It's almost like she starts crying, you know, because she knows she's being put outside and she doesn't want to. So you just you can work them out. I think it's really cool. Do you think Frankie will be around for a while? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she sort of, she comes home to sleep. She sleeps in the bathroom and then she leaves. I think she leaves maybe about six o'clock. And sometimes we don't see her till about 5.30 in the evening. She comes back home. But I think, I think she'll hang around. I hope so. She's really cool. Well, Sam Bloom, you are really cool. Your husband is an extraordinary man. And um, listen, I just want to wish you the best of luck. Congratulations on an extraordinary two books, A Life Story, captured on the big screen. If anyone deserves a fairy tale ride from here on out, fingers crossed for spinal cord injury research and um, you get walking again. But in the meantime, it's so lovely to hear a lightness in your voice and a positivity. Sam Bloom, thanks for joining us here on Short Black. Thanks, Sandra. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm Leah Harris. In the Where's William Tyrrell podcast, I told the story of the little boy who disappeared from his foster grandmother's home more than five years ago as the journalist who's been on the journey since day one. It's a story that is as baffling as it is heartbreaking, and I'm glad we could give William's foster parents the chance to tell their side of the story in their first interview in almost four years. The most recent episodes have focused on the coronial inquest into the disappearance of William Tyrrell, along with the case against former lead detective on the investigation, Gary Jubilant. And I spoke with Mr Jubilant not long after he was convicted of illegally recording a person of interest in the case. You can listen to Where's William Tyrrell and our other 10 Speaks podcasts on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.